0: Good morning, and I'm so excited uh, at the beginning of our new series, uh, Jonah, Running from Mercy. And when I was thinking about what we need to teach this year, uh, we're going to embark on a long study um, uh, on one of the Gospels that we'll do in a few weeks, but we're going to do a four-week series on Jonah. and, And as a pastor, as your pastor, I felt like this particular book was meaningful and relevant to us. The Old Testament, you can say that it's divided into like three parts. The first part is history. It tells the story of humanity all the way from Genesis to the fall of Israel. The second part are the poetries, including the Psalms. But the third uh, portion of the Old Testament is, is uh, the prophets. And in a way, you can look at it this way. The prophets um, is a collection of books, almost a collection of manuscripts of the spokespeople for God during the Old Testament period. And so if you look at like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, and Hosea, they're the words of the spokespeople of God and oftentimes a little bit of backstory behind them. And we can see how they're so inspiring as Isaiah. Uh, when he sees the holiness of God, he eventually says, Here I am, send me. Or Jeremiah, um, he is so uh, convicted of the message that he's getting from the Lord. He says, uh, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm re- withholding it in, and I cannot great passion. It is a story about Daniel who defied the king at the risk of his own life and is thrown into the lion's den, and Hosea who chases after an adulterous wife because God commands him to do so. Stories of incredible courage, faith, obedience, and and passion. And these are the stories and words of, of people in the Old Testament that we could admire, and learn from, but there's one prophet in the Old Testament that is different from the rest. You see, all the other prophetic, prophetic books um, are stories of people who are like heroes. Uh, the books are written almost in first person, like their words, they're uh, speaking as authoritative spokespeople of God. They're speaking a message to a particular audience, whether to convict them or to give them hope. And the content of the prophetic books are mostly like a sermon manuscript. But one Old Testament prophetic book, the book of Jonah, is radically different. Not only do you know about it because you were taught it during Sunday school a long time ago, But it does not speak in first person. In fact, it's mostly third person, meaning someone else is writing about Jonah. He's not an authoritative spokesperson of God. In fact, uh, the book is mostly God kind of telling him, hey, Jonah, you need to get on board here. And really, the only manuscript of the message or the the sermon of Jonah we find is in chapter 3. There are only eight words and he is not a heroic figure. In fact, he is someone who is so conflicted um, and in rebellion against God. If the Old Testament prophetic books are like a collection of manuscript, the book of Jonah, uh, sandwiched in between all of those, is a story of how God is saying to Jonah, the, the prophet, the preacher, uh, Jonah, I want you to go and preach. And Jonah says to God, no, I will not preach. No, I want you to go preach to these people. No, I I don't want to. The reason I feel like the book of Jonah is so important and relevant to all of us is because of this. At Living Hope in particular, I don't believe necessarily we have a group of people who don't know God's will. I think most of us in this room know clearly the word of God, God's will in your life. I don't believe we have a group of people who don't care about God's will. I think in some ways, most of us here are sensitive and that you care about what God says. But this is our biggest struggle. Almost all of us in this room, we know and we care. But in our hearts, there's something, some things in our lives when we know God's telling us to do or not do. And it's so excruciatingly difficult to obey. And so we wrestle with it. That's the story of Jonah. And for the next four weeks, we're going to look at it. And, it. and like I said, Jonah is unlike the other prophets. He is not a, a simple character, but he's a complex character. And the story from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4, uh, there's a wrestling, a tension. That, and, and every step of the way, I feel like we can relate to it in some ways. We're going to look at the book of Jonah in uh, two ways, we're going to look at chapter one in two ways, the unwanted call and the um, unwanted chase. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jonah chapter one, Jonah chapter one, and if you find your place in the Bible, would you stand with me if you are able Stand with me at the reading of God's Word, and I'll be reading from the ESV version of the Bible. If you don't have your Bible or you don't have an app, you can look up on the screen and we'll have it for all of us here, and I'll be reading from the ESV version. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come come up before me. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish. Uh, for this man's life, and lay it not on us uh, the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered the sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That was the reading of God's word. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We bow our hearts. We give our minds uh, to your word today. Lord, uh, may we uh, receive it with bended knees. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It begins, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Let, um, the identity of the prophet in question is Jonah. We know that he is a historical figure, not some fictional character, because even in 2 Kings fourteen twenty-five, uh, 25, the writer places him in history especially in the time of uh, King Jeroboam II in the nation of Israel, which is north, uh, northern kingdom. We also know that he is a Hebrew, ethnically, from the town of uh, Beth, uh, no, Gath-Hefer and the son of Amittai. And he is, by occupation, a prophet. A prophet is, uh, in that particular time, the, the most holy of persons. They are spokespeople of God. They are much more than priests and the modern-day pastors. They speak on behalf of God, and their words have to be true. The other thing that we know of Jonah in chapter 1, verse 9, when the sailors ask him, who are you? What is your identity? He says, I am a Hebrew. And he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. In chapter 1, God is uh, referred to in two different words, Elohim and Yahweh. Elohim is a more generic word for God with a small g, and so even the sailors pray to their own small g, Elohim. But the other word uh, in which the ESV and NASB translates as Lord is Yahweh, I am. It says of Jonah he is not simply a Hebrew, a prophet, but he is someone who fears the Lord one who has great um, proper theology and proper worship. You know, I, I look at him as, in some ways, an unremarkable man. We are not introduced to Jonah as someone who is exceedingly wicked, that he is in sin or in disobedience. We see him um, as someone who is going about his business in an unremarkable manner, but as a prophet of the Lord. To this unremarkable prophet, an unexpected call happens in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Stand from where you are. Go to a city, Nineveh, uh, which is the capital of Assyria, and preach against them that they will be judged for their wickedness. I want us to realize uh, the context here and what Jodah is actually being asked to do. He's being asked to go from where he is and to travel to a city called Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. And the reason why Assyria is important is because it was the, uh, the great empire during that time. And it is that empire that will eventually... Uh, capture northern Israel or his home country. They will annihilate it. Take the ten tribes of northern Israel away, and Israel never recovers from that. What also we know of the Assyrian Empire is this, that we have records and engravings that depict them as an incredibly cruel empire. For example, after they capture a city, they would Pull out the tongues of their captives. They would flay or skin people alive. They would burn teenagers at stakes. They would uh, impale. Uh, Victims and line uh, them up at the the front of the city. They would sometimes uh, cut off uh, a victim's legs and just one arm and leave the other arm so they can mock and shake that person's hand as they are dying. They would take those who are surviving and force them to carry on poles the decapitated heads of their loved ones. They were known as an extremely cruel empire, and it is this empire that have been uh, wreaking havoc on uh, Jonah's home country, and they will eventually destroy them. And so here was this unremarkable prophet minding his own business, receiving this unexpected call, go and preach in Nineveh. What would you do if you received a calling like that? To do something that you really don't want to do, to go somewhere you really don't want to go, to be with people you don't want to be with. That's exactly what Jonah was being called to do, was he not? After the call, verse 3 begins with but. And so this is what's so unusual about the book of Jonah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, God calls them and they obey. Daniel is obedient that Jonah is different. He gets the call and says, but. Jonah rose, but instead of going to Nineveh, it says Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He goes exactly the opposite direction from where he was. It would be about uh, about 550 miles east to go to uh, Nineveh, but rather he goes exactly the opposite way and heads toward Tarshish, which is about 2,000 miles west. And I want us to realize that there's nothing really special about the city of Tarshish. But if you look at verse 3, what is uh, significant about Tarshish is where it wasn't. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Do you see where, what's significant about Tarshish? It's not where it was, but where it wasn't. What, what he was running from, he was running from the presence of the Lord. I, I believe there are potentially two reasons why uh, Jonah was so motivated to not obey the clear call of God. You know, it could be that he feared the Assyrians, after all, like I said, they were an extremely cruel empire, and going there, especially to the capital at this particular time, would surely mean his death, and one commentator likened it to this during World War II, a Jewish rabbi uh, going to the heart of Berlin and preaching against the Nazis of their wickedness. It would be a suicide mission. But I believe there was a greater fear for Jonah. I don't know if he feared so much uh, risking his own life because as we read through the chapters, we will find out that Jonah uh, was in some ways willing to die. But Jonah's greater fear was not the fear of the Assyrians, but listen carefully. But I think Jonah was uh, fearful of God's mercy. Let me explain. You see, God had been saying, and in fact, he had told the prophet Nahum that the Assyrians would be judged. But God tells Jonah to go to the Assyrians and preach to them. And there was a part of Jonah which feared because he knew that God was a gracious and merciful God, that if he went there and preached to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, that, that perhaps they will listen, actually, and repent and God may be merciful to them. Steve, I want you to go to these people and preach to them. And no, I, I cannot. Steve, I want you to go and, and, and preach um, that they're sinners and need of forgiveness. No, I will not. And the reason I will not, I don't want to, is because they might listen to me. And you might forgive them, Lord. And my heart doesn't want that. And... And I know that this is the case for Jonah because in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we're going to take a little preview of what happens eventually in the story. He's eventually forced to go and preach to the Ninevites. And when he does, they repent, actually. So unexpectedly, they repent. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, but this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you see what he just said? I knew this would happen. I wanted punishment. I wanted judgment against those people who did did our country so wrong, but Look what you've done. You were merciful to them. What was in Jonah's heart, the preacher, the prophet, was bitterness. An unforgiving heart. A hurt heart. And I, I think in some ways he was being asked to do something that is humanly difficult, if not impossible. To go minister to people that he just had a, such a difficult time with. If Jonah had lived in, the, uh, in our modern days as a preacher and, and, and God had told this preacher, I want you to go and speak uh, to those griefful people and in that group of people, in, in those people are people who've murdered your family members, who, who've robbed and raped your neighbors and your relatives. I want you to go to them and the preacher would say, I can't. I just can't, that's too hard. How can I go preach to them so that they would receive forgiveness? In our modern days, if this preacher was given such a calling and he's so torn up over it, he goes to see a Christian therapist. Um, Therapist. I I sense God telling me to go uh, speak a message of the gospel, forgiveness to this group of people that have tortured my family. What do I do? I think a modern therapist would say this. And I know a lot of you therapists, you ask yourself what you would say. If a patient of yours, a client of yours said, I sense God compelling me to do something that I just can't right now. I think most therapists would say, you can do that when your heart is ready. When you are ready and able to do that, do it. But give yourself the grace to not do it now. I think most therapists would say that. But the problem was that God was telling Jonah to arise and go now when it was so difficult for him to do so. I don't know about you, but I believe each one of us in some ways, like I said at the beginning of my sermon, that Living hope, we're filled with people who know God's word. You know God will for you, and you care. But the problem is that there's a disconnect between your heart and, and your head of what God wants you to do. And so instead of saying, arise, go to Nineveh, God is saying to you, arise, go forgive that family family member who so offended you. Arise. And give up that idol that is in your heart that's not necessarily wrong, but you hold way too tightly. arise and and speak the gospel to that person that uh, at your work or in your neighborhood that you are so offended by arise and what's so hard for Jonah is this I, you know, he, he heard God's voice clearly arise, go to Nineveh, and he's looking around. Why is it that God is picking on me and not others? Why can't God speak to someone else? Why does he have to tell me? Because he was the only one who received the call, did was he not? When he received this unwanted call, he does what so many of us would do. What do you do when when there's an inner turmoil in your heart, when your conscience is just killing you? When you know you're in sin, but you don't want to give up that sin, what do you do? When God's pressing upon your heart to uh, obey in a way that is so sacrificial, what do you do? You do um, what a lot of people would do. You try to deaden that conviction. You hide. You isolate you distract and you run i began with this idea that the prophets are uh, in some ways manuscripts of sermons written and spoken by heroes of the faith now let me ask you this other question why is it that god included joda in that mix because there was no discernible message of the manuscript that was so compelling for us. Like I said, only eight words of his sermons were recorded in chapter 3. And I believe the reason why God left the record of Jonah is because it is difficult for us to necessarily relate to Isaiah's and the Jeremiah's and the Daniel's, but we can relate to Jonah. Each one of us can relate to what it feels like knowing God's will Caring about God's will, but resting so much with God's will. I, I, and I believe God wanted us to know that you're not alone, that we're not alone. When God gave Jonah the word, uh, he responds with a but. He does exactly the opposite. And when Jonah runs, verse uh, four, the first word is but. Now that's God's turn to respond to Jonah's rebellion. And in verses 4 through 16, uh, we are given a series of conflict tensions. Uh, the tension between the storm and the crew, the tension between the crew and Jonah, and the tension between the storm and uh, Jonah. Verse 4: But the Lord hurled a great sea, a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest. On the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten um, it for them. It says the Lord sent a great wind, and from this moment on, the wind and the storm is personified. It, it's the hand of the Lord. It's almost as if this uh, wind or the storm had feelings and emotions and thoughts and will. And the storm comes upon the ship that Jonah was on, and the crew um, was in panic. This experienced crew, and you have to believe that it was a large ship to make such a long voyage, an experienced crew. But they were fearful of the, the integrity of the ship breaking down, so that they began to throw the cargoes overboard. So there goes the prophets. They began to all pray to their each god, their Elohims. And in verse 13, though they try and try and try, it says they uh, rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Like I said, the storm is kind of like a lady who's angry. I'm not going to let go of you until you listen. And the crew was desperate. Though they're praying, there was someone who was not praying, and it was Jonah. And I kind of sense from this particular scene that Jonah was spiritually sensitive. If you think about it, if you don't care about the word of God, If you don't know the word of God, you would respond and act like someone who doesn't know or care about the word of God or the will of God. And if the storm comes, you would be in panic like everyone else. And you would offer shallow prayers like everyone else would. But because I believe Jonah knew the word of God and he knew he was being disobedient to the word of God when the storm came, He reacted like how many of us would. We would hide. We would crawl into a a shell, and we would sleep as if we were in depression. Verse 5. While the rest of the crew were praying and and hurling their cargoes uh, uh, um, overboard, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down And was fast asleep. The captain came and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Verse 6, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps a God will give thought to us that he may not perish. Uh, The captain does not yet know who Jonah really is, just one of the passengers. Hey, we're all praying or we're fearful of our lives. Shouldn't you maybe pray uh, to your God? Eventually, the crew kind of suspect this is not a normal storm, that there is a supernatural hand behind it, that it's reacting to what the ship is doing, becoming more angry, trying to get a point across. Verse 7, so they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. They realize that this must be a supernatural storm and the storm is upon us because there's sin on board. Someone is sinning against their God. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Who are you? Who are you and who is your God? You see, in that particular era, uh, Different people, different uh, cultures had their own gods. Different cities oftentimes had their own gods. So, Where are you from? Who's your God? And who are you so that your sin is, uh, has gotten your God so angry that the storm has come upon all of us? Who are you? I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord Yahweh, not the generic word for God, but I am God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Notice how he describes Yahweh. He made the seas. He's not a small deity, but he, he's the creator of all the universe, including the sea, uh, the sea that is upon us. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said, What is this that you have done? And, and, and mind you, the, the first question that they asked, What is your occupation? And I'm sure he had to answer that uncomfortable question. What do you do? What, what do you do for a living? And, and Jonah, at some point in time, said, I'm, I'm a prophet. I told you the story of um, when I got a speeding ticket a couple of decades ago. I mean, it's not the last ticket I've gotten, but I just do things online now. <laughs> but this was before they had online traffic school that I had to go. And uh, and I was just, you know, quietly, I want to do my time and leave, but the instructor, one of the first things that he said, let's go around, tell us our names, what you did, and what your occupation is. (laughs) And of course, uh, when it came time, my name is Steve, I'm a pastor, (laughs) and I was speeding and I wanted to justify my sins, but I knew I was guilty. And from, the, uh, and from that moment to the rest of the class, he kept having to point out that I'm the pastor. <laughs> what is your occupation? Jonah eventually had to say, I'm a prophet. I'm a spokesperson for the God who made the seas. And uh, the crew was exceedingly afraid. What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord Yahweh because he had said so. We're not sure exactly what evil you have done, but you've told us you're running from God. They ask him, what do we need to do, verse 11, that the sea may quiet down for us. They realized he was a holy man, he was a priest, he was a prophet, he was a pastor. And it says in verse 11, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. She was getting angrier. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the seas, verse 12, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And I want you to kind of stop here, pause here for what's going on in, in Jonah. If you throw me overboard, you will be safe. He knows that. He knows that this is all happening because of his sins, right? But but I want you to understand the reaction that um, Jonah could have had. He could have said, You know, you're all in danger because of me. Let me throw myself overboard. But he didn't do that, right? He could have also said, It's because of me. Let me repent. Let me repent of my disobedience. And when we get to Tarshish, I'm going to turn around, take another ship back. I'm I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to repent. Do you notice that he doesn't do that? But rather he says, kill me now. I would rather die than to obey the command of God. Did you know? I mean, do you understand that? That the initial calling of God was so, so difficult for him to go potentially give mercy to people whom he could not forgive that for him it was it would have been better just to die the storm continues to be tempestuous the sailors pray and they realize they had no choice they didn't want to necessarily throw overboard a holy man but they feel like they had to, so they pray. Verse 14, they called out to the Lord. So now they're praying directly to the Yahweh God. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it, uh, done as it pleased you. We're not sure if he's innocent or not. We don't know, but you seem to be saying that he's not, so we're gonna throw him overboard. And Lord Yahweh Do as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And she, the sea, ceased from its raging. You know, one side note is this. Realize that uh, Jonah's initial call was to go to a pagan nation and to preach mercy and grace upon them. He refused to do so. But the irony is that on the ship, he's with a group of pagans. And because of the storm... Verse sixteen: The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You know, oftentimes uh, storms come in our lives, and the uh, storm—not all storms are like this—but there are times storms. That God sends and and the storm disrupts us and makes us uncomfortable, hurts those around us. It's a storm that we don't want to heed. But the storms come as agents of God to pursue us with mercy. I'll end with the story. When I was in... Texas seminary some 30 years ago I was a youth pastor it's a small church I had uh, less than 10 kids in my youth group um, and they can all fit in the van and we can go on a retreat together as so, um, because it was a small church I knew all the kids and all the kids knew me and all the parents knew me and, and, and I knew all the you know parents as well um, and and I think that all churches have one of these kids and maybe you are one of these kids you know it's a boy, oftentimes it's a boy, normally it's a boy, not a girl. A boy who just, just too much energy, you know what I mean? Doesn't really know how not to talk. Can't keep their hands to themselves. Um, they always you know, need to be active, and this church, we had like a five-year-old or a six-year-old boy that had a reputation that just, just no one can control this little boy. One day, I saw this little boy uh, do something with the church, in the church, and I said, hey, you, you can't do that. And this little boy had something in his hand. I forgot what it was, a pencil or something. He looked at me. He threw it right at me. Right? Um, I, but I knew the boy and, and, and whatever. So I said, um. You can't throw things at me. You need to say sorry. And this boy, he turned around and ran the other way. And so um, I chased after him. I didn't run. I was bigger, so I couldn't walk fast. I I didn't want to play games. He... He uh, ran away from me. He, he walked out of the church building, so I just walked out after him. He ran to the parking lot, and it was, safe, it was a safe parking lot. Uh, he ran to the corner of the parking lot, so I walked to the corner of the parking lot. He I ran to the other corner of the parking lot, so I walked fast after him to the other corner of the parking lot. He uh, tried to run back into the building, so I walked in, back into the building with him. He came to a point that he realized I, he cannot escape. My presence, right? So he did what a lot of boys like this would do. He uh, got on the hallway of the church uh, building and he uh, lay down on the ground, and he, he started having a temper tantrum, right? Ah, you know, screaming, crying, and and um, I stood there, and eventually I kneeled there, and people were walking by, but they knew me, and they knew the boy. They're just like, okay. And, and, and the mom walked by, and I thought, okay, I'm going to be fired or social services is going to call me. I hadn't laid my hand on the boy. The mom looked at what was going on and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was the final straw for the boy. realized that there's no way he can escape my presence or win. Um, and I, I knelt down and I kept uh, and then said, you have to say sorry. Eventually, he said sorry. Gave him a hug. Proud of you. We became buddies that day. And from that uh, time on, when um, the parents or other people had issues with that little boy, they called me. Hey, Steve, can you... Uh, Talked to him. I was one of the only persons at the church who can say, hey, come. And he would come. Have you ever felt like that? You you run from the presence of the Lord. You kick and scream. And you think you can get away with get away from God, but you just cannot. And he keeps chasing you, and it's so uncomfortable. We don't like it. But it's not God chasing us to punish us, but it's God chasing us to be merciful to us. It is God who, saying to us that even when we were enemies, even though we were yet sinners, that he loves us. Jesus Was in a similar predicament at one time. He was at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he had the three of his disciples with him. He knew that another disciple had come, uh, will come shortly to betray him. We know that one of the disciples, whom he was praying with, will deny him three times. The other disciples will all run away from him, and that um, he would have to give an infinite sacrifice for the sins of the enemies and the sinners. And one of the things that Jesus says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. If there's any other method, but your will be done, not mine. And we are told that Jesus is the greater Jonah. And that love of Jesus, the the sacrifice of Jesus still chases us.